Hello, welcome to episode, wait, six? Six of Trashback Ratio. This is our sixth month, technically. This doesn't make any sense to me. I'm fair, I can't count. Anyway, hi. I'm Jackson Tyler, your host, and with me, as always, is Kyle Turner. Hey there, good. Yep, mm-hmm. Uh, Destiny Sturdevant. Hello. And Matthew Marco. Fight the power. Exactly. Uh, we're here to talk about movies, as that was uh, being insinuated. Our movie club this week is on Do the Right Thing, but first we're just going to catch up, see what's going on. Who wants to talk? How's everything been going? Who's doing well? What's happening? What's happening? I, I will start. I am doing fantastically. Um, I have a lot of... Both my professional and my personal life have been going well, knock on wood. Because um, it's usually um, just a professional life. But um, I have a new position. I've been kind of promoted uh, as the chief editor of Movie Mezzanine's blog, The Balcony, which is really cool. Good job. I'm going. Yeah, thank you very much. I'm going to be um, going to be interviewing my favorite director on Wednesday, which I'm very nervous about. Um, but that's very cool. And I have another project that I'm going to be working on with a f- with a friend of mine. Um, it's called Media Query, and it's going to be a podcast about um, queerness within media and kind of opening that discussion up. And that's going to be a lot of fun. We did we recorded our first episode like at three in the, three in the morning or something, and we, our topic was Ryan Murphy, and we discussed kind of the how frustrating he is. As I was going to um, say, did you just make fart noises for the whole episode? <laughs> we could have, okay. but but we decided to be a little uh, more invested in the conversation. Oh, Ryan and... Murphy. <laughs> that's what I would have done. <laughs> You're fun. I know. <laughs> and um, what else? Uh, I got the Criterion art book because I am a slave to capitalism and they stole my idea and I still wanted it anyways. And I have a significant other. So, yeah. Good times. Nice. It's cool. I've been doing okay. Um, it's been a uh, maybe a tumultuous couple weeks. I feel like I've been real up and down, but uh, watching more movies this uh, this year. 2015's been better in, like, two weeks than yeah. 2014 was in, like, four months. So, looking up. Um, and uh, for Christmas, I got the Werner Herzog box set. Ooh. Speaking of movies, somebody who uh, might also be on this Hello. podcast bought that for me for Christmas. Oh, um, Destiny's here. Call Blimey. <laughs> <laughs> but that's really it. We only watched one movie out of there so far. But was it good? It's a good. It's a good box. Nice. Yeah, it was a Gile, uh, which was uh, amazing. Nice. I had not seen good it. Times. I really want to watch Trocek and Nosferatu. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's one of my favorites. Oh, Nosferatu's great. I'd seen a couple of the movies that are on there, but yeah. How, how's it been for you, Destiny? What's it's going on? Pretty good. Um. I just got to see 2001 A Space Odyssey in the theater, and I realized near the end that I had never seen the entire movie. (laughs) 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 There was an entire section I had no idea existed. 
No. Really? No. Really? So that so was fun. in your head, what was 2001 A Space Odyssey? I don't even know. I guess it was just how the computer and Neanderthals beating each other up with bones. <laughs> so basically a college frat house. <laughs> Ay. Ew. How, how, just, how does that... How, how does... Well, I had never watched it uninterrupted because, like, whenever it would come on TV, I would get distracted and I would yeah. I wouldn't finish the whole thing. And then I thought I had seen the whole movie at least once, and uh, I was happy to be proven wrong in a theatrical context because it's a great movie. But the end of that movie is so specific, and the thing everyone talks about, and the, well, the hotel, and the the ridiculous lights, and the baby. Well, uh, I remember, I know the baby. I remember the okay. baby. I know I had remember... seen the baby, but all the all right. weird, trippy, like, beyond Jupiter stuff, I totally had not seen. How would the... I just... I don't know either. I, I really I... don't. Matt, how would you know that had that ever come up? How would you never realize... Uh, when she says she's seen a movie, I tend to take her at her word. That's a good point. Good point. Fair. Yeah, I didn't know until I was sitting there and it dawned on me, hey, I don't know what happens next. <laughs> <laughs> it was exciting. Was it the ultimate trip? It was the ultimate trip. Oh, I had a good, good time. That, that's good a great movie. Mm-hmm. makes me feel re- really weird about aging. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it'll do that. It also made me feel really small and well up at the idea that I'll never go to a Howard Johnson's in space. It'll do that too. What? That that was one of the kitschy things in the first half of the movie. There's all these um, businesses in outer oh. space on on the space station that exist on Earth, like the Bell Telephone I- Company and Hilton. And Howard Johnson's. And... Yeah, because I remember very little about that film because I don't like it. Oh, you should revisit. Yeah, I'm going to revisit it at some point. The last time I saw it was before high school, so... Oh, yeah. Yeah, I when I saw it at 17, I was baffled by and mostly dismissive of that movie. So Everyone didn't I've like it. I've seen it like four times at this point. I think it's Kubrick's best movie. Not my favorite, but his best. I Everyone every... didn't like 2001 at first, for the most part. I liked it the first time I saw it, but apparently I didn't finish it, so what do I Yeah, which was three days ago. (laughs) (laughs) That's not true. Yeah, I was like that. I was like, what the hell is this ending bullshit? And then about a year later, I was like, I was very wrong. I feel like the beginning is more baffling than the ending. Yes, because before it becomes this, like, analysis of what's happening with how and then all the arty stuff at the end, it's, hey, look at these 60s businesses on the moon. Well, what I never got was, okay, if that was the dawn of man, was the monolith on Earth and then moved? No, there's multiple monoliths. There's the one on, like, at the dawn of man, there's the one on the moon, then there's the one out, like, in orbit around Jupiter. And the idea is, like, they were signposts along the way of, like, this evolution, like... Primitive man finds one on Earth and suddenly they can use tools. We get more, we get to the point where we can like excavate the moon and we uncover one and it points to Jupiter and it encourages us to go out into space. And once we've proven that we can go out into space, like whatever the monolith is, like nudges us to the next step, which is like some sort of transcendent being. Well, you got that way more clearly than I did. I thought it was all the same monolith. (laughs) No, there's three monoliths. 
The yeah. monolith like, is not a monolith. Like metaphysically, metaphysically, there might be just one monolith, and I think that's actually probably the accurate read of it. But in the plot, there are three monoliths. Mm-hmm. I th- cool. I think the read of metaphysically doesn't matter. There are they're just it's a thing, uh, you know. So if if two thousand one is not your favorite, Matt, what is? Uh, Barry Lyndon. Hmm. Are we gonna go around and do this? Because Doctor Strange Love. No, Barry Lyndon's a, an amazing, beautiful movie. I love it so much. Jackson? But this is the point where I say 2001, because it's the only two Kubrick films I've seen are Dr. Strange Love in 2001. Look, you can go away, Kyle. I've only seen a handful. I've seen The Shining, that, Lolita, and I don't even think I finished Lolita. I don't know. Like My Kubrick knowledge is really small, too. I've seen everything except for Fear and Desire, I think. Mm-hmm. Um... He doesn't have that big of an output, to be fair. Um, You're not missing anything with Fear and Desire oh, either. It's not a very good movie. You know, yeah, no one. He he didn't want anyone to see that in the first place. So I don't. Feel yeah, like I, I had to go to some weird Russian website to see that. Yeah. <laughs> I was going um, to my see. Fa- no, go on. No, go ahead, Kyle. No, no, you finish, and then I'll say it. Oh, I was going to say, um, I really liked Full Metal Jacket, but I think I like Doctor Strange Love more. What were you going to say? Um, my two favorites are Paths of Glory and The Shining. Cool. Yeah, no, I, I should watch more. I should watch more films. What happened to me was that I was doing my big cool film degree thing, and then university was bad, and I got all angry at academia, and then I watched way less films, and I jumped off that train. I'll catch up at some point. That's what but, the point of this is: watching more movies. Hell yeah. It's way better than academia. <laughs> <laughs> I started using my letterbox again. I'm at four movies for the year, which is uh, piddly compared to two Januarys ago. Mm-hmm. So I'm... I... Kyle? Oh, I thought Destiny was going to say something. Oh, I was just going to say I'm, gonna, I'm trying to get back on track. <laughs> How many movies have you seen, Kyle? <laughs> I don't rem- Um, I'm looking... Hold on. Like, 15? Nice. Um, but I have decided my New Year's resolution, most of my New Year's re- resolutions were dumb jokes, except for the one where I go to the gym more often and eat french fries in front of people, <laughs> <laughs> which really did happen once. I really did do that, and I want to do it again. But my actual New Year's resolution is not to impose this quota on myself that I've been doing the last few years, because it's just very exhausting, and um, I realized, like, both times, both, well, at least two of the last three years, there were certain moments in my life where I was just too depressed to watch something new. And so I would just go a long time without either without watching a movie or without watching something that was new. And I realized I should just let myself take it easy this year. And if anything, I'm going to concentrate more on um, going at my own pace and um, watching television shows that I need to catch up, catch up on. At my own pace. Yeah, that's that's the way to handle it. I agree. That's how I took last year, which meant I watched way less stuff, but I felt better about it. Didn't feel exhausted by all the things I put in my brain. Which is it's a good way to be. Like this last month, I've seen one movie this year. I'm I'm the person who's lowest right at the moment, uh, and that is do the right thing. So. 
It's a worthy film to be the one film you've watched so far. Yeah, it is. We'll get into that later. Is it? Go away, Kyle. (laughs) If you're going to sit here and say Do the Right Thing is not a good movie, we cannot have this podcast. Oh, no. I I will let you know my opinions later. Oh, now I'm anxious. Okay. (laughs) Who's... Who actually wants to talk to us about a movie, then? I uh, saw a girl... What's that name of that movie? A Girl Destiny? Walks Home Alone at Night. Thank Ooh, you. I want to see that. It's so... Like, it's a fun movie, but most but the thing I most took away from it is it's the most gorgeous movie I've seen in such a long time. Uh, just incredible black and white film i wish more movies were in black and white me too that's that's my takeaway is that i could look at that movie forever Mm -hmm. it doesn't even matter what it's about it's like it's a fun movie uh i I was expecting something a little more horror-y and less like weird indie romance but whatever Uh, i like i said i'd look at whatever that was forever yeah her next movie is gonna be some sort of dystopian story so maybe we'll get more spooky stuff from her. I feel the same way, but I could watch that vampire skateboard all day long. What's the, what's, what's it about? What's the thing? What is it? It's the story of a um, Iranian vampire who kind mm. of defends uh, you know, women and downtrodden people against jerks. And she has a cat familiar... And a cool record collection. And, um, yeah. <laughs> and it's filmed like a black and white spaghetti western. Yeah. Oh, no wonder you both love this movie. <laughs> on, on every level, of course. It sounds great. Yeah, I've been dying to good. see it. It's great. Yeah. I'll, I'll probably shut that out when it comes over here. Kyle, what, you've seen every movie. What do you want to talk about? Go. Pick one. Can I talk about a TV show instead? Of course. I've I've not seen anything, so go ahead. Um, can I talk about two? Okay. I'm sorry. You sound annoyed at me. No, I'm just... I'm, I'm, I don't know what this is going. Where's this going? Oh, Take okay, us on this so journey, Kyle. The, the first thing is I finished Hannibal Season 2, which I had initially watched during its run, but then I didn't finish because I was without cable. But Hannibal is probably, without a doubt, one of the most gorgeous television shows on currently. It is a piece of art. It is sumptuous and delicious and... Don't... <laughs> huh? With the food puns, with the Hannibal. Oh. Well, that wasn't even intentional. Oh, <laughs> oh that's the best! <laughs> okay, carry on. Uh, um, it's just really an incredible show, and I like that its style is its substance because every frame, every piece of stylism within that film pushes its story along, and it is so much about getting into the headspaces of its primary of its uh, characters as well as as the viewer, and it's very much a mix of David Lynch and Lars von Trier, and it has this very wicked sense of humor, and I very much recommend Hannibal. It's a remix of the properties kind of, that kind of already exist and have uh, already been published. And uh, Brian Fuller is doing some really interesting work with um, the property, and it's really fantastic. Um, I really liked the books and have a fondness for almost all of the movies based on the Lecter's stories and stuff. Is it? It's going into, like, Red Dragon and everything, right? 
Yes, but not in the way that most people will expect it to. Oh, okay. like, is it actually going to cover, like, Silence of the Lambs and Hannibal at some point? They want to. Um, the Silence of the Lambs thing is kind of up in the air because Lifetime, I think, has the rights to Clarice Starling's character and story. But what f- I think that actually provides um, a really interesting opportunity for Fuller, who's been doing this anyways. He's taking these characters that already exist and giving them um, different storylines and, um, you know, remixing what al- what is already there and using different ingredients that are already there to create something new. And I think that's really fascinating. There are elements of Red Dragon that are already in season two and that he's using to different ends, which I think is fascinating. I should. I don't know why I haven't watched this. Same. I think you would really like it, especially you're you're into like the postmodernism stuff. So you, I think, will really be into how um, Fuller is utilizing this wealth of material to create a completely new story and universe. Essentially, it's cool. I've I've really wanted to check it. out. I was kind of like, I didn't know whether I should wait till it all ended and wrapped up first. But I don't know how long it's going to be around. I know they said they wanted it to be four seasons. I don't know if that's still the case. But I want to check it out at some point. It sounds really good. It is fantastic. It's hard to binge watch because it is so good at burrowing into your psyche and so good at burrowing into your head. Um, and each image just is totally indelible. It's like... Um, it's like the Tarkovsky-esque scenes that are in, like, Antichrist and Melancholia, in a way. Mm-hmm. And it's just a very, very gorgeous show. And then the other show that I've been watching um, is Mad Men. And it took me six months because my special friend nagged me for six months and I was just being lazy. But that show is fantastic. What I think I like about it the most is that it's one of the few texts that I found that is able to depict very gross people doing gross things and be able to critique those things without succumbing to them. Yeah. And being complicit in them. Because, like, yeah, yeah, um, the the automatic defense for people who love things like The Wolf of Wall Street and Spring Breakers is depiction does not equal dis- endorsement. And I, I get that, but I think with certain properties, there's definitely some... Um, some active uh, being complicit in what they're depicting and I think it's really interesting that Mad Men is able to do it without being <coughs> complicit mm-hmm. um, one of my favorite sequences is in the second episode um, where uh, Joan Holloway the head secretary um, is telling Peggy Olsen the new girl the new secretary that all these men are going to be going after her and they're going to be hitting on her and there's just this slow montage to this music of these men walking by and staring at her and and giving her looks and it's very disconcerting but incredibly well done mm-hmm. and molly haskell i believe described the female gaze as a woman catching the male gaze looking at her yeah that's what most of that show is when it comes down to the women characters like my only complaint about Mad Men is I feel like it kind of ignores certain things that actually went on in favor of like touting this narrative of like well it was just a bunch of old white guys and they were this and that towards minorities and women but then like when you look at actual history there were women 
working in advertising before uh, Peggy Olson's first day at uh, Sterling Cooper. And uh, it uh, Sterling Cooper, uh, this is a vague spoiler, but like when they finally get around to hiring black people, it's like in real life that had already happened. And, and that's my one quibble. But other than that, it's one of my favorite shows. That's cool. Uh, to your point, Kyle, about uh, depiction and all that. Uh, what was the word? I can't remember the word. The really obvious endorsement. Word. Endorsement. Yeah. Sorry, I'm blanking out and being useless. But I think part of it is that because it's television, it doesn't have to reach any kind of conclusion. And this happened with Breaking Bad. I feel in that that's a show that depicts a lot of terrible things. And for a good bunch of it runtime can be argued as like whether it does or does not endorse them. And personally, I think when it gets to its ending, it completely drops the ball and ends in such a way that allows all the people that did think it was about endorsement to totally be like, yeah, that was about endorsement all along. And in an ongoing story, you have this responsibility to uh, end you in such a way that makes your message clear rather than having... Uh, that be unresolved and I think that, that you you cannot know how Mad Men is actually going to respond in terms of depiction and endorsement until the show ends and there's a completed piece okay uh, that's interesting and that's totally a reaction to the Breaking Bad stuff which ended in the worst way possible I didn't finish that show don't didn't even start. Have no intention to. You're fine. I, I'm doing it out of spite, really. <laughs> Mad Men, I actually... You see, Mad Men is much more to my um, proclivities because I like that era. I think it's very interesting. I'm very um, enamored of that style. And it's a world that I find much more interesting than people selling math. I know that's a very reductive way to describe Breaking Mad. Breaking... Did I just say Breaking Mad? Breaking Mad Men, yeah. <laughs> breaking Bad, but I think the world of advertising is just um, is more interesting to me because it it panders to the kind of thing the kinds of things that I like to study my and the influence thing. that media oh. has and whatnot. Yeah, I'm done. Oh no, I was just gonna say my whole thing is I just think Mad Men has better writing, more mm. nuance. More interesting mm-hmm. characters. I like, love the female characters on that show so much. Yeah, no, they're great. They're great. That's cool. Cool stuff. All I did was, uh, in terms of watch stuff, was I rewatched Inside Lewin Davis, which is very, very good. Uh, and, totally. And then the other day I watched the first two episodes of Gravity Falls. No surprises for who showed them to me. That's a good show. It's really good. I was into it. Um, that's a uh, great cartoon. I'm not I'm not in love with it, but it's smart. Uh, you could do worse for sure. Uh, I was. Uh, had a good time there. I like a good cartoon that's uh, very, you know, vision. I mean, if we're going to talk... If we're going to... Uh, go ahead, sorry. I just meant in terms of... I was going to say that... It's clear that this thing is storyboarded to heck. Uh, when when I think of, especially like, uh, popular adult cartoon humor, it's just static person talking, and I like the fact that it bothers to storyboard its sequences and pr- proceed with some kind of visual energy that you would expect with animation. 
that is often lacking. But you were going to say, Matt? Oh, I mean, if we're sharing TV, I've also been watching Arrow, which is... Actually, yes. Go on. Tell enjoyable. me about Arrow. <laughs> no, I don't really want to... I'm not through season one yet, even. Fair. And they're on, like, see, they just, like, they're in the middle of season three or something. Uh. So I feel weird. That show is a uh, good time. It is the most Airsats Batman show that you could ever imagine. <laughs> but I enjoy that about it, particularly. Mm-hmm. Like, they so very much want to make a Batman show. And instead, they got this Arrow guy. So they just did it anyway. It's pretty good. Okay, that's cool. Yeah, that's. I guess that's how we're doing. We're having a relaxed, laid-back month and cast. So, do we want to get into talking about do the right thing? Let's do it. Let's sure. Do it. Let's do it. Destiny, this was your choice. Yep. Do you want to take us in? Intro us now. I guess I shall. All right. Do the right thing. Um. 1989, Spike Lee joint, written and directed by Spike Lee. <laughs> <laughs> yep, and uh, starring. Starring Spike Lee, yeah. <laughs> uh, takes place on a very hot, long uh, day in Bed-Stuy. Is that how you pronounce that? Yeah, Bed-Stuy. Yeah, um... You got Mookie. He delivers pizza at Sal's, which is like an Italian-American staple in this black neighborhood. Uh, And there's just a bunch of tension. There's the heat. There's racial tension. There's the tension within every character's relationship with another. I I picked this movie because it had been a while since I'd seen it. I've seen it, uh, I want to say, six times now. And it's one of my favorite movies because it nothing is wrapped in a neat little bow and i felt like with everything that's been going on in the news with all these like police killings and protests about the deaths of like michael brown and eric garner trayvon martin the list goes on uh it it this movie just becomes more and more important as the years go by and this movie is you know, 25, 26 years old, and it doesn't feel that way. I mean, aside from, like, the slang and the terrible haircuts, uh, (laughs) (laughs) but, like, everything else about it, it just, it still speaks to everything America's going through as as far as, like, race relations. So I thought it, it was important for us to give it a watch and discuss it this yeah. month it was my first time watching it and i thought it was amazing so good choice thank you good choice oh don't thank me thanks spike lee thanks spike lee <laughs> i've only seen three spike lee films and i've loved them all so what have you, you know. seen i've seen uh did our thing i've seen the 25th hour and i've seen inside man oh i love inside man i've never seen 25th hour that's the one i need to see because everybody loves it and i can't believe i haven't seen it yet as three movies couldn't be any more different that's true i didn't care for inside man i really like it it's very silly it's fun it's a like a fun movie kyle the twist of that movie that revealed at the end is that the man was inside (laughs) (laughs) Uh like yep Mm-hmm. See what I'm saying? I'm, the actual twist is that Denzel Washington actually lives in like 
this like crazy 1990s version of the Dick Tracy film. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. But happens to like wander into our universe to solve crimes. <laughs> that's the part that's yeah. the best. Uh, I've seen Old Boy. Uh, well done. That's that's, that's the only Spike Lee good... movie you've seen. No, no, I've seen Old Boy do the right thing in Inside Man. Okay, nobody's seen. I've seen Malcolm all, X? but. I've seen Malcolm X. I've I've got it. I want to say that's so uh, the I almost saw Malcolm X, but instead I went to a friend's apartment. But the <laughs> night that that our um, history on film class, which was specifically on race in America, was showing Malcolm X, that was the day that the um, verdict for the lack of indictment and um, the uh, uh, Michael Ferguson Brown. Ferguson oh, Michael Brown yes. Um, I, Which I thought was interesting, and I regret not going to that class. Oh, I, I thought, purposely skipped class the day my film class watched this, because, uh, watched Do the Right Thing, because I didn't want to hear, there were only two other black people in the class, including myself, and I Why didn't Why did Mookie throw the trash can? He didn't do the right thing! <laughs> exactly. I didn't want to hear a chorus of that. And I heard it was, it got pretty heated in there and I just did not want to be there. So I purposely skipped class that day. Smart. <laughs> and my film teacher, I feel like he tried really hard to like, be like, aren't I blowing your mind with this, just this controversial movie I'm showing in class? And I don't know. Something about it all just rubbed me the wrong way. Where did you go to school in The Simpsons? <laughs> yes, yes, I did. I live in Springfield. <laughs> okay. So what are what are what are people what are people's instant reactions to this watch of Do the Right Thing? May I? Yes, Kyle. Okay. Um. So I first, I think it's a very formative film for me now. It's weird saying that. I saw it the first time in um, this college course that I was taking during high school, and I wasn't. I, I dismissed it as very cut and dry and um, very easy kind of to figure out what was going on. Um, that was before I had kind of any understanding of what the issues actually were. So seeing it now, I think it's very interesting because. Um, I think it's a film of ambiguities, and I think it has this ongoing dialectic with itself, these different kind of antithetical notions of what what is the right thing, and it's very... I think one's perception of the film is kind of dependent on one's privilege and experience, or one's understanding of privilege and experience, and so seeing it now I think is... I think it's fantastic. It's not a film that I particularly love, but I think it's a, a fantastic film. Okay, yeah. Matt? Um, this is, I guess, my third time seeing this. Mm-hmm. Uh, I actually love this film uh, for the tragedy that is the end of it, like, notwithstanding. Like, that's not a thing that anybody could enjoy, but the first, like, hour and, like, 15 minutes where it's just living this life with these people spike lee is a director who does slice of life better than maybe anybody that i've ever seen and you just 
meet all this wide variety of people and you just kind of want to sit down and hear what they're about and understand them, whether it's like the three guys in lawn chairs, like talking trash about the entire neighborhood and their memories of times before, or the mayor going around being nice to people, even though they refuse to be nice to him, or even Sal with his like weird misguided paternalism about how he's going to feed all these people with his pizza. Like, it's honest about the actual motivations of people. Like people aren't good or bad. Uh, they're like a mess and with good intentions and egos and uh, frustrations. And I think that that's the thing that I like could just sit in and exist in. And it's, it's such a tragedy that it goes so wrong because like you see the conflicts, but you see that none of it needed to be this, like go in this direction. And that's the thing that I always take away from that movie. Mm -hmm. That's, that's kind of my reaction as well. I knew going in that it was this tragedy. uh, It was this commentary on race and everything, but I, you watch it. And for the first, like over half of it, it's this vibrant and honest portrayal of just community as an idea. And, it shows you each character with each perspective and how they interact with each other and how they live lives and subsist in this environment where everyone is important and if you took one person out it wouldn't feel the same and the way it just brings you into this street and this this life like you said the slice of life nature is it is so good and powerful and like full of love and it's hilarious it's it's colorful and it's joyful it's great and obviously that is very important as it sets up uh, the mood as it goes later on but it was it was just such a powerful it's weird to call it powerful when it's a, so effortless and about this like lack of trying it was just existing and i really like that uh, one of my one of my favorite themes was when a uh, guy gets his uh, trainers run over by that bike yeah, <laughs> they go up to the guy going up to the thing, and they're like, "Go back to Massachusetts." I was born in Brooklyn, and all of them, this mom just go, "Oh." <laughs> did did um just a quick question? Did dear white people riff on that scene? I guess it did, didn't it? I didn't think of that. Because when I saw it, I was like, oh, that looks like it was from dear white people. Well, no, I mean, not from dear white people, but it looks like th- that's what dear people... I my one like artificial dumb comment is that the pizza looks terrible. Oh, want to hear a fun fact? I do. So I I I got this on Blu-ray and I watched. I didn't finish it, but I watched half of the like little. I guess they did a retrospective, and Spike Lee interviewed people about what they remember about making the movie. And one of the things was that they didn't have enough pizza. So, <laughs> there's a lot of, like, the same pizza being reused and uh, people pretending to n- touch the pizza that aren't actually touching the pizza and a lot of weird things like that because they just ran out of pizzas. <laughs> That's fantastic. That's a great fact. <laughs> oh, yeah. So good. Uh, just, like... I don't like um I I've you know like it's kind of hard to be a black film nerd and not just kind of have Spike Lee always around. Uh like one of yeah. my favorite Spike Lee movies is Crooklyn, which is this nostalgic um look at New York in the 70s through the eyes of this 
I think she's an 11 year old girl and do the right thing feels like a more contemporary, like or the first half of do the right thing feels like a contemporary loving portrait of a community, kind of like what Jackson was saying. Uh, but one of the th- things that struck me on this viewing that I had not really noticed before, um, and it was, you know, completely intentional, but I don't know, maybe it was because I hadn't seen it in Blu-ray before, it was just like, when it opens with Rosie Perez dancing to fight the power, all the colors and how yeah. hot everything already looks, like you're already kind of feeling mm-hmm. the stuffiness of everything. Mm-hmm. Um, did you guys, oh, you, you haven't seen a lot of Spike Lee movies. He did some of Son of Sam, Summer of Sam. Uh, Summer of Sam was the story of the David Berkowitz murders. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And that took place on a very hot day in New York City. And I don't remember that movie having the same sort of, like, visual feel. Like, it doesn't feel as um, muggy as Do the Right Thing. And I wonder... If... It, it doesn't. Yeah, you, yeah, you remember. Yeah, it, um, it, it doesn't at all. The thing I like about uh, Do the Right Thing is, and I commented to you about this, Destiny, is how stagey it all feels. Yep. Yes! Like... A lot of the, like, poses that characters have as they transition through scenes is, like, the camera swoops through this street and, like, the opening with the colored lighting and stuff feels like it's a stage production. Like, you can see moments where it's like, oh, you spotlight on these characters and then the set's being changed it fades to black. Especially that opening. I love that about it. And it's... Because the the acting also operates in, like, a theatrical mode, like, how ridiculous everybody is. Like, it's not a movie that's trying to capture reality, it's trying to capture truth, and it does that through this very heightened way. Mm-hmm. And a, a definite mood. Like, uh, the scene specifically that Matt and I cited when uh, talking about that stage play vibe was, uh, there's a scene where Mookie's sister, Jade, is uh, braiding the hair of... Uh, Ruby D's character, mother's sister, and at the end of their scene, they just look up towards the sun and mm-hmm. just pause. And it's there's not another scene in the movie like that, but it's it's so strange, and yet it makes total sense in this film. And um, like the parts of the movie that it, it it seamlessly goes from like making you totally aware of the camera to just getting so caught up in the story that you don't even think about the fact that you're watching a movie. Uh, For instance, when um, Radio Raheem does his riff on the love and hate. uh, Yep, that's the scene I was thinking of. Knuckles, yeah, that's, um, you know, from Night of the Hunter. uh, I I think the Charles Lawton movie, that's the speech that Mm -hmm. Robert Mitchum gives, but he has it tattooed on his hands. But, like, through uh, the mouth of um, Radio Raheem, it's like a total black New York telling of love and hate. And even though this character, uh, Radio Raheem, kind of approaches everything with this, like, quiet, brooding masculinity, like, he still has all this love. Um, Like, there's this character that constantly gets shit on. It's the Korean store owner. Uh, And and when he goes in to get the batteries from him, I don't remember what the guy says to him to make Radio Raheem laugh and say, like, you're all right, you're all right. But, like, little things like that. I don't know, just, I, I love the I, way all the kids he, He's like, put the batteries in, motherfucker. And then the guy's like, no, you motherfucker, you. And he, like, can't pull off being this aggressive guy back to him. But it's in such an endearing way that he's like, yeah, you good. Even though he's coming at, like, he's being completely <laughs> racist and, like, unnecessarily rude. And yep. I know it's like, oh, sorry, go on. 
No, I was agreeing with you. I'm just, yep. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, like, well, I mean, like, yes, I get it. Oh, it's hot. No, I, I don't know. I'm from Nebraska, so the idea of just going into a store and yelling at someone like that, <laughs> like, horrifies me. And I feel like the whole movie is full of people just, like, especially men, just, like, being really defensive and automatically, like, barking back at people and feeling like they're, uh being put upon like Mookie, he's not a good person. He's a really crappy dad. All he cares about is money. He, he, he in earnest, asks his sister, like, oh, what responsibilities are you talking about when she tries to yell at him about it? And uh, one of the mistakes I made watching the movie when I was younger, I always thought of Mookie as, like, the main character. And it's mm-hmm. so not the case. <laughs> Like, because it's kind of revealed later on that he has a son. Yeah, and... And it comes out of nowhere, you know, wait, this guy has a son? Right, and he's... This, like, fuck-up kid just walking through his day, he's got a kid. Okay, great, alright. Yeah, and his mother yells all the time, yet the kid stays asleep <laughs> the entire movie. <laughs> yep. Um, yeah, like, it, it took me... A few viewings to kind of shake off the... And it, it's hard because Spike Lee's playing Mookie. So you kind of want to put that on him. Like, oh, he's the protagonist and he's the one... You're supposed to be watching the movie through his eyes. But I like how there's no one really to root for. I mean, you, you kind of are watching it through his eyes. But doesn't the fact that he's not the best person doesn't like change that. Right. But I mean, not, not everything is his point of view. Because you get all these scenes between yeah. um, Demare and Mother's Sister who were, you know, probably Mookie's age when Dr. King marched and when Malcolm X was alive. And then you've got, you know, uh, Samuel L. Jackson as Love Daddy kind of playing the Greek chorus and uh, also, you know, taking requests. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, But the feminine anger of that movie, it just feels so much different because it's all about the men in their lives and... And wanting to, like, make something out of themselves. But the men are all just, like, single-minded. And I know it's, like... uh, Matt and I kind of talked about this. Like, the Spike Lee's not the best at writing women in a lot of his movies. But Mm -hmm. the the way that everything is kind of paralleled in this, I I found it really interesting. Yeah. I, uh... As much as... Uh, Samuel Jackson's character is a Greek chorus. I also like how much Radio Raheem is this chorus, where like he is playing the song that opened up the movie, and he's just constantly drifting in and out of scenes, almost as like a comedy bit until the very end. That's true. Like he feels like totally other than like he he's like exists in a world apart from the rest of the movie because he's like your scene transition character as he just wanders around this boombox and gets in everybody's way, and like while the like DJ is playing all these varied songs like all radio he wants to play is this one song over and over again as like this undercurrent of all of the tensions that exist in all these people yeah what's the most interesting like about just how all the events that lead up to the ending roll out like out of all the characters you'd expect to um like 
I mean, it's kind of obvious to say, but like the 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 Giancarlo Esposito character, I think his name's like Bugging Out, is his nickname. Uh, the one that wants to boycott Sal's for not having the uh, any black people on the wall. Like you think he's going to be like this major player and everything, and then it just kind of like turns on its head, and that's an an interesting surprise. And it also like feeds into the fact that like none of this story is going to be so black and white and easy to understand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the way... About, oh, you guys? Oh, I was going to say, about um, Radio Raheem um, kind of drifting in and out of scenes, it's kind of... I'm, I, I'm trying to come up with a good comparison, and the only thing that really comes to mind is some degree Buster Keaton. He just kind of drifts from scene to scene. In his films, yeah, it, it, he's not used in the same way by yeah, uh, like but Raider Raheem's not the main character of the plot, right? He's less of a character than Smiley, the man who sells the postcards. Because yeah, Smiley wants to sell the postcards, Smiley has like different things. But Raider Raheem is just constantly, I want to do. He has one thing constantly, as opposed to everyone else who is trying to find a way to interact with this community and find their place in it whereas he's just accepted this is me and everyone else can bend around me and they can deal with it because i'm who i am and i i don't know i really like Radio raheem like uh even early on just like he was one of my favorite characters just because he just had he had his thing he was gonna do it and he was just gonna play his boombox and fuck you guys i like the great i love the vibe that radio raheem wasn't very cool like he was a respected figure everyone knew who he was but like yeah, but they were but, like, oh, we'll just deal with him. This, this is the guy that plays the boombox. Yeah, like everybody's like, oh, don't you listen to anything else? We want to listen to like <laughs> uh, the the guys playing the salsa music on Love Daddy Station, and and they have the little boombox battle. And uh, my favorite thing about that group of guys is they're speaking Spanish a lot. And then like I don't remember what happens, but there's some sort of conflict, and one turns to the other, and he says like he just breaks speaking in Spanish and says in like a perfect. New York accent, like, shut up! What are you doing? <laughs> so good. Yeah, like that's America right there. <laughs> I I love that battle scene because they turn up, they turn it off and on again, and then he turn, they turn off the salsa, and Radio Hume's like, good, my work here is done, and just leaves, and then they just turn back the salsa up. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Oh. What do you like? One of the other mistakes I feel like, or not mistakes, but like. Things that I did, or now that I know better, I don't think this way, but, like, I always thought that Sal was way more sympathetic than he actually is. Well, he has moments. Oh, yeah. Which is specifically less him being more sympathetic, but more... It goes between his character and John Turturro's character, who's being the worst at any particular moment. Like, one of them's always angry and about to hit someone, and the other one's always yelling at them to calm down. And so sometimes Sal's this like figure that's like, I've got this, don't beat up this uh, smiley person. We'll just give him some money, it's fine, don't worry about it. And then someone comes into his store and John Turturro's like, don't use the bat, put the bat down, Dad. <laughs> it's like a very, it's, it goes back to that anger, like that really specific anger. Like everyone has it in the movie for yeah. a multitude of reasons that like we as viewers don't even know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like with those two characters, you realize that 
in terms of being worse than the other, not, it's, still, it's nowhere as... You can't categorize it that way because it's all... This person is angry at these people and these things and this is what triggers it because that's their lives. That's the life they've lead and has led them to have these prejudices. And the movie rejects any idea of worse as like a concept that's uh, valid. Like the, It deals in so much more interesting terms and is not in any way concerned with who's the good person here it gets way below that obviously because yeah you know right are we ready to talk about that ending i guess so yeah i'm yeah who wants to talk about the ending i can't talk about it without crying yeah me too (laughs) just in terms of the way it takes tensions that had been building throughout the film and they all just are let out not even in a hyperbolic way. There, there isn't. I didn't feel any single emotion at the end of that. Like I wasn't sad and I wasn't angry. It was just like this overwhelming release, which I assume is how a lot of people feel about that because it's so conflicting and complicated. About... The ending so, of the film, yeah. Are we talking about the ending of the climax? The climax of the film. Okay, not the same thing. Yes. Okay, oh, you're right. oh, semantics. Well, I mean, we could be talking about completely different, completely different scenes. Oh, we're talking about the the, the climax. The yeah. climax. Yeah, talking about the okay. murder of Radio Rahim. Talking about the re- murder of Radio Rahim yes. and the ensuing violence. Not even violence. No, no, actually, I don't think violence ensues. They just—it's property destruction. It would be well, wrong to call that violence. And you notice, like the next day, that's what the uh, news decides to chalk it up as. Like they don't even talk about Radio Rahim. They just say mm-hmm. the disturbance. The property destruction, his name doesn't even come up mm-hmm. until uh, Love Daddy dedicates that song to him. Yeah. Yeah, I could I could barely watch. And, it, I mean, for obvious reasons. And I, yeah, it's painful. It's, it's so just, ugh. Ugh. Ugh, that's ugh. right. <laughs> Kyle, do you have anything to say about the climax of the film? Um, the climax of the film, I feel, is filled with ambiguities. I think it's very interesting to gauge how people feel about that movie. It's frustrating, but also interesting. Because, like I said, I initially dismissed the movie as very cut and dry in terms of what was going on. I think it's a lot more complicated mm-hmm. and very and much more tragic and sad um, once you kind of become more aware of things that happen. And I'm going to ch- my my best friend thinks that the movie is racist. And even before having rewatched it, I was like, "That what? That's kind of ridiculous." Racist what, towards what? whom? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I can't. I have no idea. But. Um, I don't really have that much to say other than it's very sad. Mm-hmm. What blows my mind, or not blows my mind, but just like always messed with me, like right before the fighting breaks out in the restaurant, those kids are banging on the window and they want to get in, and but the restaurant's closing. And Sal's like, you know what? Let them in. They they grew up on my pizza, and they and they've said as much. Because when Bugging Out was trying to get the boycott organized, one of them said, "Yeah, I grew up on Sal's pizza. I'm not boycotting. It's good pizza." Um, yep. 
and he lets them in, and, like, you know, they, then they all kind of give each other crap, and it's, like, it's kind of a, it, it seems angrier than it probably actually is. Like, I tend to read everybody as way, way angrier for little things just because of the kind of person I am, but it all kind of mm. makes sense in context, so that's how everybody talks to everybody in this universe. So it just comes across as really playful, and these are just young kids. Like, teenagers are obnoxious. Uh, no offense to any teenage listeners. Um, and just, there's a lot of, like, kindness happening in this scene, and then it all just goes to hell in mere minutes. And that's the part that just always kind of tears me up. Because it's the scene where Sal's saying to the guy, you know what, this was a good day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he literally and, says that. And you get the sense that, like, the day itself was not abnormal. The fact that the tensions were building and rising wasn't abnormal in any way, and it is totally this one sequence of events that causes them to, this these things to occur, rather than it's, an, like, it's both complete. The film presents the the end of the day as 100% inevitable and 100% avoidable at the same time. Right, it doesn't feel like a cause and effect thing, though. Because mm-hmm. everything was there before... Like, if, yeah. you know, if, we, if the movie took place a week before this stuff, those... Like, Nothing would have changed. Exactly, all of those tensions would have still been there. Those guys, at the, uh, you know, the three guys in the chairs would still be talking crap about the Asian store owner. The... Um, you know, Vito would still be picking on his brother and he'd hate on Sal and say like, oh, we should, you know, move to Bensonhurst, dad. And all that stuff would still be happening. And it's just, it's mind blowing to me. It always yeah. messes with me. And, and that is, is basically speaks to the first half of the film being really good at presenting a slice of life thing and presenting conflict emerging out of these like the argument about there's no uh, black people on the wall ha- it wasn't a thing that happened it's a thing that already exists and that's like one of the smartest plotting decisions of the film that it's just tapping into a conflict that's already there rather than why this day is special yeah because there's nothing special about the day when at that all. and exactly like when this stuff happens in real life it's not like this clear build-up it just happens Mm-hmm. Like the film is constructed in a way to actively reject the, any question of why did this happen in terms of a logical, uh, you know, criminal quote unquote crime sense that this person did this, therefore this person did this, and then this happened. Like it rejects that way of thinking about conflict. It also rejects, like, or not rejects, but it doesn't quite mm-hmm. know where it stands. Like the movie no. doesn't, like, it ends with those two. Yeah, those two quotes. Yeah, and it's like... That's what I'm... Sorry. No, go on. Kyle, Kyle you got... Th- yeah. That's what I meant. That's what I meant when I, when I said that it's a film that has these dialectics going on when, within it. it. It doesn't seem to want to take that stand or make that decision for the better because it's about that conversation, I think. And that's what makes it such a great movie, in my opinion. I agree. Because, like... The first time you see it, you think, oh, okay, this movie's saying, oh, violence isn't the answer. And then, the, you know, the scroll keeps happening. And then this Malcolm X quote comes and he's, he's saying self-defense, violent self-defense is, like, uh, intelligent or something or other. I'm paraphrasing. And it's like, the movie doesn't even know. So... Well, then, it, then it's got the photo of both of them. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, 
Exactly. And they're both, they were both killed violently for reasons that were way more complicated than the things they were fighting against. Yeah. And the film's attempt, the film is as conflicted as every single one of its characters and the way it tries to not even make peace with that but just grapple with that idea throughout is such an honest betrayal of frustration and like people said what it means to be in America still like and I assume shall continue for a good many years because fuck and it just captures that yeah it's like oh it's totally like if you one thing that always kind of you know in the wake of all the things that have been happening in the news with like police brutality and race uh just the idea of like people saying well if you go walk in the steps of king or gandhi you know this stuff won't happen or if you if you arm yourself and protect yourself and we have our own communities where we're relying just on ourselves as black people none of this would happen and it's like there's no answer and then like it's even more complicated by the fact that in or uh just like just thinking back to the events of the film um earlier when the police go to close that hydrant that's opened and they totally take the side of all the kids when uh i can't think of his name is that vincent pastore the guy driving cadillac and he's like don't get me wet and then they and they're like yeah "Yeah." we're not gonna get you wet we're not gonna get you wet at all yeah (laughs) and like when you know you watch that and you don't know what's coming next you think oh these cops are gonna be total dicks to these black people about the situation and they just make fun of him yeah like they make a little racist joke about oh they might strip your car but it's almost (laughs) to like fuck with him you know yeah it portrays them as part of this functioning community right they listen to love daddy just like anybody else you know they're not like uh comically evil police officers they're just they're keeping whatever kind of peace there is and like yeah go away with your car it's fine yeah it's uh it it just messes with me how mm-hmm. there's just there are no answers it really does yeah it's such a heartbreaking film. Anyone else? Everyone's very quiet. No, no. Sorry, I feel like it was all said. Yeah. Cool. Well, I guess that's do the right thing then. I'm very glad you picked it. it yeah, choice. thank you for making me rewatch that. Yeah, I'm glad you got a chance to see it through new eyes because I definitely did, and I thought, you know, I thought I had it pinned i really did uh and it i'm happy to say that like it still manages to surprise and destroy me and i'm excited for the day we can watch it and go these things used to happen and they don't anymore but i don't think that'll ever happen (laughs) oh that's a 
horrible God. thing to think. I know, but like, how else am I supposed to think anything else? No, I, I, I don't necessarily disagree. It just makes me feel awful. I don't know. I think there's a really nihilistic view of this film that could say that it's like part of it is coming to terms with the fact that in human nature this is inevitable. Because it's such a because you could uh, take the way this film portrays the idea of community in the first half and put it onto air. like if you remove the like race aspect which is impossible because that's what the film's about but there is a read of it where you could be like oh this is just gonna these tensions will exist in every community and it is something that is actively there and we have to deal with as human beings and we cannot ever ignore it and be complacent guess... about it because that's when shit goes bad that's I depressing I, yeah it my, is my reading it isn't necessarily that it's inevitable it's... i'm not i'm not saying that's what i'm not saying that's actually my read but i'm oh, saying that's a reading. well yeah no i get that i guess my thing is like i don't even know what i'm trying to say but like even before that all right? went down like there were no one felt like it was their community and they were living in it and they all seemed connected and everybody seemed to know any everybody even if they hated each other and yet they all had these grudges and these built-in prejudices like the old man who he had it out for that store owner and when he goes up when you know after Mookie throws the garbage can and the guy's like all right going to give it to this Korean going to go up and just and he's yelling like i'm like you we're the same i'm black because he's trying to say like you know i you don't know my experiences why how dare you equate me with this white uh police officer or with sal who has been oppressing you and really i just came here to make a living just like anybody else and then like everybody kind of backs off i don't even know what my point was like but that that scene just like it, it, it hit me harder than it did ever that scene definitely stuck out as like one of uh, in the middle of this really complicated difficult moment that's just a expression of all these suppressed feelings that's that that scene is also in there just throws another layer of just tension in, well i guess into it. yeah i guess what i was saying like like that old um, old man i wish i knew the character's name like he felt like that guy was the reason there were no black businesses there when the problem is way bigger than a little fruit stand. And mm-hmm. the kid that gets his Puma scuffed or his Jordans or whatever, like that's like a teenage concern. But the fact that it's like this yuppie looking dude with a Larry Bird shirt on a bike, just, it just makes it seem like a bigger deal than it would be. You know, if it had been another black kid. Yeah, because if that guy wasn't riding through my neighborhood, right. then this wouldn't have happened. And he's like, who told you to move here? Mm-hmm. Who told you to buy a brownstone here? And oh, another fun fact, that actor went around telling people that Larry Bird, the basketball player, actually gave him that shirt, which isn't true. But he spread that story around for 25 years. Whoa. <laughs> Spike Lee like, called him out on it. 
uh, in the thing. I'm telling you guys, watch this Blu-ray feature and it's amazing. It's so amazing. <laughs> Who are you to besperch the bird man? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's Do the Right Thing. That's a film. Well done, everyone, for another quality podcast. Thanks. Thank you. Yeah. That's me applauding you. <laughs> I'm very proud. Phil, we're very chill today. It's a solemn film. I mean, that's true, but we've been chill the whole episode. It's a chill yeah. time. It's a chill January. By which I mean it's super cold. cold. Super chilly. Super chill. Super chilly. So, Kyle. Yes. What are we watching next So week? I thought because... February is Valentine's Day month that we should watch Antichrist. (laughs) (laughs) Do you know how happy you've made me, Kyle? Do you know how deeply, like, deeply happy you've made me? Oh. Do you, I mean, are you serious? No, no, no. I thought about it. Pick something. But you, you like, I love it. You know I love Antichrist, so you know I'd be doing a dance if you actually. It's between, it is between two, and I actually kind of want want to make it more democratic. Um, there's the ironic choice of Lars von Trier's Antichrist. (laughs) And then there's the more serious choice, which I, I'm surprised that I have not suggested earlier, but, um, Xavier Dolan's Heartbeats. Oh, I, I like Heartbeats. I've never seen Antichrist, so I'm voting for Antichrist just on that. Uh huh. I Kyle, you Kyle, Kyle, you have a vote. Jackson, you go. Oh, I don't know what to choose. I've not seen either of them. Uh, hmm, hmm, hmm. I can't I've, choose. I've this seen is... both about ten times, so. Matt, well, what are you? Where are you thinking? What are you gonna? I haven't seen Heartbeats. So I was gonna pick that one. <laughs> You're gonna pick heartbeats. Okay. So it's really down to you, Jackson. Or no, it's we not. could be ridiculous no. and watch both. Yes, let's Ooh, do both. Let's do both. Idea. Yes. Okay. Double feature Antichrist and Heartbeats. Do we have to watch no. them in a row? No, no, don't do no. that. <laughs> you should have said yes. <laughs> yes, yes. First Heartbeats and then Antichrist. Start off high and then. No, that's low. the wrong way around. Nah, I'd go the other way around. Mm, I'd like I'm, to go the I'm other way around. I'm just gonna gush over Jackson. Antichrist for an hour, so it's gonna be a good cast. <laughs> is, Antich- is Antichrist your favorite favorite Lars von Trier? Mm, it's either that or Breaking the Waves. Mm. My favorite is Melancholia. Mm, Melancholia gives me panic attacks. So. Well, that's going to be a fun yeah, so, so, yeah. so February. <laughs> February. Oh, February is <laughs> Lars von Trier's Antichrist and Xavier Dolan's I'm so Hobbies. excited. This is a great, great choices, Kyle. Thank you. I'm well so done, pleased. Kyle. I'm so excited. Thank you. I am so excited, too. I once watched Antichrist um, while having a hangover. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that sentence was going to end in a very different place. Yeah, me too. (laughs) (laughs) Where did you think it was going to end? Where do you think? I don't know. Oh, yeah. No, I watched The Clockwork Orange after sex once. I watched uh, Lady Frank from Shanghai during once. Wow. 
Look, I, I was paying attention to the end of that movie. You'd seen it before. I thought it was fine. <laughs> I watched Zombieland during sex. <laughs> Zombieland wasn't interesting enough to not have sex. <laughs> <laughs> I, and with that, that's us. Oh, no, I'm, with Kyle's neck thing, that's us. Kyle, this better be a strong closer. What? We got, we got plugs. You got a oh, plug. plug. Okay. I know, but I was... Oh. My- what? <laughs> Every time I step on you trying to segue into plugs. Kyle, what were you going to say? I don't know. Great. Oh, I was, uh, was going to say was I like Zombieland. I would not have sex during Zombieland. Me neither. I like that movie. Kyle, if, if you're watching Zombieland and someone that you like is like, let's have sex now, what do you do? Say, after this movie. <laughs> Had I, if I if I'd seen if I hadn't seen Zombieland before, I would say that. I've seen Zombieland. I saw it in a the theater. It was fun, but kind of forgettable. So whatever. Okay, fine. It depends on who's asking me. We can diddle until the Bill Murray cameo, and I like to watch that scene because it's fun. <laughs> I've never slapped a child before. <laughs> Just kidding. I have in Starbucks. Wait, what? <laughs> Well, plugs everyone. Let's plug. Who wants to plug? I'll plug. Go I plug. can be found at badlandgirls.com and No you can't. Yes I can. You shush. <laughs> you shush now. Uh and also at fridgebuzz now on the Twitter. You can find me at abnormal mapping, which I do with Jackson. It's about video games. Destiny guests frequently. Uh next episode up I guess it'll be our cool Soge, but look forward to Lana Polanski at the end of the month. That's the one that's really worth getting excited about. It's going to be a great time. This is the perfect place to plug it. Yep. Yep. Kyle? Okay, you can find me um, at Tyle Kerner, T-Y-L-E-K-U-R-N-E-R, on Twitter. Um, I'm the chief editor of Movie Mezzanine's blog, The Balcony. And you can find... I also write around the internet on movies, about movies. And you can find my work at tilekerner.tumblr.com. And I am TYLEA002 on Twitter. I'm on abnormalmapping.com with Matt, and that's probably all the good stuff. This is Trashback Ratio at trashbackedratio.com. <laughs> you know what people should do? They should go on to iTunes. iTunes. <laughs> and leave us a rating and a review. Rate, a a rating review. They should subscribe. Yeah. Yeah, they should also do that. They Listen. Should do that. And you could. Listen. You don't have to listen as long as you subscribe. <laughs> as long as you give us the numbers. And yeah. Then we have an email address. You can write us questions. Trashbackratio@gmail.com. Yeah, questions? No. I forgot to ask for them. Because this was such a disaster in terms of when we were recording it. I didn't know when to send out requests. Who do we get to blame for that? Me, I think. Me. Yeah, I think we blame Matt. Yeah, you okay. blame me. Uh, I've done it enough time, so now it's your turn. We're done. Podcast over. Everybody high five. Goodbye. Goodbye.